Keisha Gunter, and you're listening to Roar, an energetic and enlightening weekly podcast that will help you achieve more. This weekly infusion of candid insights, indispensable lessons, inspiring stories, and success strategies for living your best life now will help you on your journey to making your dreams a reality. My experience as a Fortune 50 business and tech executive has led me to meet some pretty amazing people. On Roar, I share real talks with top executives, thought leaders, luminaries, authors, and entrepreneurs who are passionate about building the next generation of inspired, empowered, game-changing leaders. Are you ready to fear less and move into your dream life? Let's Roar! Welcome to Roar. I'm your host, Lakeisha Gunter. So what do I mean by Roar? The beauty of Roar is that it's both an acronym. The acronym stands for Reflection, Opportunity, Action, and Relationships. And it's an action. We are all born with it. A hidden power inside of us. It's a fire that's often suppressed by fear. That power is your Roar, and it's waiting to be unleashed. Today, I want to talk about the art of communication and why good communication skills are essential for career success. Being an excellent communicator can help you land that first job in your new career and ensure a positive future. It can separate you from other applicants during the job interview process. It can help you be a more effective employee and serve as a stepping stone to leadership responsibilities and career advancement. Many people assume that great communicators possess an intrinsic talent. They look at the abilities of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., Bill Clinton, Barack Obama, and Amanda Gorman, the nation's first National Youth Poet Laureate, and assume that it's a gift that can't be learned or improved. While I think it may come easier to some people than others, the reality is that almost anyone can become a great communicator with consistent, deliberate practice over a period of time. That is great news, especially given that of all the skills attributed to leaders, communication is universally agreed upon as the most important and the most indispensable. Larry Shoup is a master communicator. He helps leaders enhance their communication skills, presentation skills, storytelling ability, and executive presence. So they're more engaging, more memorable, and more persuasive with every audience, every time. Larry has over four decades of experience. Yes, four decades of experience creating and delivering communications in mainstream media as a television news anchor and reporter as well as at Intel Corporation, where he was an employee communications director and an executive keynote director working with all the senior leaders of the corporation. About five years ago, he started his own company, Fialo Shoop Communications. As I said earlier, he has coached executives, leaders, and individual contributors at Fortune 100 companies for more than 20 years. And I have been so fortunate to take advantage of many of his communications training over the years and just have firsthand experience in partnering with Larry on many of my communications and presentations that I have had to deliver over the years. There is no one better in this field to share key techniques that you can use to help communicate beautifully and present your ideas powerfully to inspire your audience to action. So with that, let's welcome Larry to the show. Welcome, Larry. Thank you, Lakeisha. It's great to be on your podcast. I'm so glad to have you here. I mean, we've been talking about this for a while. I'm like, Larry, you got to come on and just kind of share your tremendous insight into communication. And, you know, we were just reflecting on the inauguration and uh, Amanda Gorman and her communication deals and just how she just wowed the entire world, right? (laughs) 
Exactly. Exactly. It was very impressive. A great moment for us all to experience for sure. Well, let's just jump right in. So tell us a little bit about your background. I know you very, very well. I've had the pleasure of working with you for a number of years. Talk about where you're from and maybe who were some of your biggest influences growing up? I'm from originally Dallas, Texas, and that's where I was born and lived the first 12 years of my life. Then my family, my father got a job in Los Angeles, so we moved to Los Angeles at the time. And, you know, from a, from a communication perspective, some of the biggest influences of my life were really some of the biggest events that happened in my lifetime. I mean, I remember very distinctly and clearly because I'm not a young man, the the moon landing back in 1969. And I remember Walter Cronkite talking about that. I can remember, you know, the JFK assassination. I go back that far. So I was always someone who was extremely interested in news events and didn't realize it at the time, but consumed a lot of communication at the time. And then as I went through my high school years, I always was an avid reader and a consumer of news and information. And then when I went into college, I realized, huh, that's really a passion that I have. So let me translate that passion that I have into a career and into a profession. So that's when I decided to go into television news. And in college, I studied journalism and economics with an idea of of being a business news reporter. And then it just kind of went from there. I I got jobs as a weather person, uh, as a sportscaster, and eventually moved into news and did primarily business and Uh, economics and technology reporting as part of my portfolio in television news, and then moved over into Intel, where you and I connected and worked together and did communication-related things there with running the employee communications organization and the executive keynote group and having the really distinct pleasure of working with people like you and other wonderful senior executives who were passionate about communications and wanted to improve their communication skills. And, and I would say if there was there was one person who was really influential, I had a professor in college, a, a guy named Sid who was from Brooklyn, New York, and he worked for Reuters, and he worked for the Associated Press, and he worked for United Press International, and he was really, really tough on me from day one, and when I had my first journalism class, and I handed him my paper, and I was a pretty decent writer at the time, he just trashed it, and it was full of red ink, and I remember, I I can distinctly remember, I got a paper back from him, And at the top, it said, nice try. And that was the best recognition he had ever given me. And I I figured at that point, I was able to break through. But the important thing was, is that Sid was tough on me, but he also encouraged me at the same time. He saw that I had talent and he knew that if I worked hard and I cultivated that talent, I could really raise the, the level of, of my quality in my writing and my reporting. So it was far and away, the, the, he had the most influence of anyone in my career overall and in my journalistic career. Wow, I love that. I love that as you were talking about Sid, and I wrote down, who's your Sid, right? And so, you know, who's that person that is motivating you to even pull out even more of your greatness? And so I was reflecting, my, my Sid was uh, Mrs. Clark, my English teacher in high school. We saw a lot of red, okay? Uh, I resemble that comment. (laughs) 
but it made yeah. us better. So yes. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. And I, I would imagine that maybe that was a defining moment as you look back over your life and your experiences and, you know, what things that really shaped you to who you are. It sounds like Walter Cron- Cronkite, who we all remember and love and adored during that time and didn't want to miss his, his news hour. And then maybe Sid, anything else that you think was a defining moment for you that helped you really just kind of um, find your roar? Well, also at Intel, um, where, where you and I both worked, as we mentioned before, when I was at Intel, I came in coming out of TV news and was a bit uncomfortable, quite frankly, and didn't feel like I had solid footing. I was trying to make that transition professionally and culturally from a more open mainstream news environment into a corporate culture. And I had several executives very early on that were really willing to let me make mistakes and to help me and allow me to learn from them. I'll tell you, Lakeisha, one of the, one of the people that really had a, a very strong influence on me was Andy Grove, the, the famous, the legendary, not only Intel CEO, eventually chairman of the board there at the founding of the company, but one of the tech titans, one of a handful of people considered to be the most influential tech industry executives of all time. And, and let me tell you a quick story about Andy. And that is, I was working at an event and Andy was a guest speaker there. This is when he was chairman of the company. And I used to be responsible for a corporate video at Intel where I would produce and be the talent and write this video on kind of a, a almost a news magazine style on any particular important topic of the time. And I was at this event with Andy and he was waiting to speak and he and I were the only ones there. We showed up early. And he turned to me in his Hungarian accent and he said, Larry, you know that last video? And I said, yes, Andy. And I was anticipating for him to say, you know, something wonderful. He said, that was the worst video I have ever seen. And I was just shocked. I was stunned. And as you know, Andy is the one who created this concept of constructive confrontation, which was the idea that always confront an issue, a challenge, a problem, but do it constructively. Never attack the individual, but attack the topic and really look at it from all sides so you have a robust debate about it. So in that spirit, Andy's next advice to me was, okay, Larry, this is why it was not a good video. And here are the ways that you could improve it. And that's what I'm hoping and expecting you will do next time. So literally within the span of probably five minutes, I went from being devastated because this legendary person who was the chairman of my company said I had done work that he thought was quote unquote the worst of all time to him giving me really good advice on why and how I could improve it. And I never felt better, quite frankly. So it was, he was someone who was a big influence on me because he also saw my talent. And he, on a somewhat irregular basis, I would get, you know, Grove was famous for writing one sentence or half sentence emails, but he would send me something like saying, video could have been better because of this, or he would say video was good because of this. And he was really supportive of me. Paul Odellini, God rest his soul, our, our CEO that you and I both worked under at Intel, was also very supportive of me. He was tough on me. 
And he called me on the carpet every time that I made a mistake and that I could have done something better. And if he disagreed with something that I wrote or something that I said or something that I produced, and he too, like Grove, would also offer me advice on how it could be better and what I could do next time to improve my performance and improve my work. Wow, I love those stories. Man, talk about the power of incredible feedback and mentorship, because that's exactly what they provided to really just help you and the company be better. So thank you for sharing that story. I love that. I love that. I took a few nuggets, right? Just in terms of the, you know, as leaders, how we, how do we interact with our team members, how we give feedback, you know, and how we communicate. So they walk away knowing that it's really not necessarily anything that's designed to hurt them, but to help them become their best selves. So thank you for sharing that. Piggybacking off of that, right? I mean, just your exposure to Really, I would say the entire employee base at Intel, over 100,000 employees to the time that you were there. I mean, you were the voice that we got a chance to see and hear often and really helped tell the story of, of, of Intel, the powerful story of Intel, especially during as it was transitioning from, you know, a PC-centric company to a data-centric company. I mean, you've been focused on communication for decades, right? And it's often referred to as a soft skill, somehow less important than hard skills, like the technical expertise of engineering or maybe project or program management. Talk about the importance of communication for each of us who are, you know, we're in a large company. We're saying, okay, I'm not a senior leader, so I don't really have to necessarily get it right. And, you know, I should probably just focus on my job and being an expert in my job. Talk about the importance of really adding that soft skill component to anyone's role. First of all, Lakeisha, let's acknowledge that I'm very biased when it comes to the, <laughs> uh, the ROI, the return on investment of communication. But, but putting that bias aside, the fact is that communication is really fundamental, indeed essential to getting things done. Communication is what creates alignment on job and organizational priorities and direction for a company or a team. It educates teams and organizations on what needs to be done, when it needs to be done, who's going to do it. It's, you know, it's really about hearing and harvesting questions, concerns, problems, and importantly, ideas. If there's not a good communications environment, ideas get suppressed and they're not coming and boiling up. Communication done well motivates and engages those around you to achieve better performance and stronger results. We know that engaged employees far outperform their disengaged colleagues. The data are very clear. I'll just share one quick data point for you. Undesired turnover is anywhere from 30 to 50% lower for engaged employees versus disengaged employees. And as you know, Lakeisha, because you've run large organizations, undesired turnover is very, very costly. And communication is central to engaging employees. And, and think about it on an individual level. Strong communication skills accelerate career growth and career goals. The higher up you go, 
the more communications matter. I mean, again, you have been at a VP level for quite a while. My guess is, is that the majority of your job is communicating. In fact, legendary CEO Jack Welch once said that 90% of a CEO's job is communication. When you're at those higher levels, you are communicating to others what to do. You're not doing the work specifically yourself. And communication skills are often a major limiter to promotion and advancement. So yes, they're labeled as soft skills, but they have significant impact on engagement, on productivity, on financials, and significant impact on your ability to grow your career. Wow. I mean, you you put it extremely well and you're absolutely right. I mean, at, at this point, you know, even with the engineers that I've worked with or even coming up as an engineer, one of the things that I really focused on was really landing the right message, right? You know, how do I show up in a space and communicate with stakeholders in a way that that I can influence them to the outcomes that desired outcomes? Talk a little bit about maybe the importance of of preparing for those engagements, right? And and the conversations that we need to have. I think many times we just kind of walk into a meeting cold and say, okay, I'm going to just go talk to Larry. But I think there's power in preparation. Any thoughts in that? Yes. And it's one of the biggest gaps that I see, lack of preparation. And by the way, I'm not just talking about presentations. I'm talking about exactly what you brought up, which is going into a discussion with a direct report or your boss or a peer or a customer or an end user, whoever it is you're going to talk with. I see too many people, and even at very high levels in a company, go into a lot of situations unprepared, thinking that just based on their knowledge and their experience and their ability to handle a conversation, that they're going to be just fine. And I see them sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes and often struggle to really be clear in that communication and to be able to get what they want out of the person they're talking to and to communicate what they want to communicate. So with that said, I think preparation is crucial. Let, let me put it this way. Here, here's, a, here's what I talk to a lot of my clients about, because I this is one of the things I find is a big gap. I always ask them, if you are going into your staff meeting and you're not on the agenda to present at that staff meeting, how much time do you spend preparing for that meeting? And invariably, the answer is, oh, I don't spend any time at all preparing for that because I'm not presenting. So, you know, it's kind of like I have an hour off because I'm not on the hook to present things in front of other people. And what I always say is, you know, that is not a good approach to go into that meeting for a couple of reasons. One, if you are not prepared to understand to address, to ask questions, make comments, offer ideas around the subject matter that is being discussed in that meeting, you are not bringing value to that meeting, to that discussion. If you're prepared, if you've thought about it in advance, you can bring ideas that are going to further the discussion and elevate any potential solutions that the group might implement. And secondarily, and this is very important, We are always in every setting, whether it's a virtual setting, whether it's audio only, whether it's a face-to-face setting, we are always being either consciously or subconsciously assessed by all the people in that meeting and in that room. 
And if we, because we're not prepared, are not able to contribute value and add value through our questions and our comments and our ideas, if we're not able to do that, if we just sit on our hands and don't say anything, others are making an assessment of what that means. It makes us come across as less leader-like, less confident, and less credible. Whereas if we are someone who can speak up, who can really actively participate in a discussion, the impression that we leave, the presence that we have in the room and the impression that we leave on the people in that room is far more powerful and far more positive. And then when your boss who's running that meeting comes to the end of the year and is deciding who is more leader-like, who is ready for that move up, who is ready for a bigger scope and management position, the presence that you have and the impression that you leave in meetings and all the interactions that you have is a really powerful component of those types of decisions. And it's not just in the staff meeting. It's as, as you mentioned in the question, it's the one-on-one -on -one meeting. It's that, it's that interaction. It's all those interactions that you have with all those people that you meet with and talk with every day. So uh, as I say to people, spend time preparing for all of those opportunities. And by the way, look at them as opportunities. And I will tell you, Lakeisha, the response I often get in that instance is, is well, you know, that's great. I hear what you're saying, Larry, but my calendar is so full. When am I going to have time to prepare for all these meetings? And what I say is, that's a fair comment. If you're looking ahead at your calendar for the next week or two weeks or a month, no, it's probably really full and you have not blocked time to prepare for those meetings and those interactions. But look further out and start blocking time on your calendar to do preparations, especially for those more important meetings where you know that your presence is on display. I don't, by the way, ever recommend, well, get up early in the morning or stay up late at night or, or spend time over the weekend. We're all already extremely busy. Our calendars are very full, but it just takes some intention and it takes some pre-planning and it takes you blocking out your calendar in advance so that time is there and you can spend that time preparing. And I guarantee you, Lakeisha, it pays off. I totally agree. I totally agree. I mean, to your point, I mean, every interaction I have is actually, you know, communicating my brand, right? In a sense, right? It's how I, people are evaluating how I show up. How am I being present? Yeah. Am I adding value? How is she coming across? Can Is it clear, compelling? Do I hear, do I understand what she's saying? Or am I confused every time she talks? Whatever it is, you know, it's, it, to me, to your point, it's being intentional and giving the attention to the things that are important to your brand. And I've heard it said, and you probably have said this, I know you've said it a number of times, is, you know, leadership is communication and communication is leadership. They are inextricably linked. They're not, you know, mutually exclusive, right? That's right. That's exactly right. And so, I mean, you talked about those intimate interactions, presentations, and really our presence and, and how we occupy a space, how we come into a space, how we leave a space. Are there any other things that we need to be thinking about as it relates to communication that we need to make sure that we address? Yeah, I think preparation is a big one. I think another one that is something we don't necessarily think about and we don't always put in the same sentence or the same context as communication is listening. I think listening, I, I don't think, I know, 
listening is one of the most powerful skills that you can have to one, engage people and to really create stronger relationships with those people. Let me, let me just, if you'll indulge me for a second, let me do just a, a quick activity with you, Akisha. And, and I, would, I would encourage the folks who are listening out there to do the same thing along with us. And that is stop just for you know 10 seconds, 15 seconds, identify someone in your life who's a really, really good listener. So identify someone in your life who's a really good listener. You have someone? Yes, I do. Okay. So tell me why. Why is that person? What what qualities does that person have that makes you think of them as a good listener? You know, I would say they're caring. They're empathetic. They are vested in other success. And so usually when I'm talking to them, they tend not to interrupt. They listen. uh, They repeat back what they thought they heard. And then we begin the conversation. So I always feel like they're completely present in the conversation. They're not distracted by email or phone or anything like that. They're dialed in. And you, you know, like Isha, you just described, I often in workshops and in coaching sessions, I kind of describe the qualities of good listeners and you, you just hit on all of them. Now, let me, let me ask you one other question. So this person that you identified, what do you think of them? What do you think of them as a person? Oh, I adore them. I think they're amazing. <laughs> Probably because they listen to me all the time. <laughs> My guess is you respect them. Oh, completely. And you yeah. trust them. do anything for them. Yeah. Complete you, trust. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You completely trust them. And my guess is, and you actually referenced it when you were describing the qualities of that person. My guess is, is that when you've got a tough issue, when you're struggling with something, you go to them and you turn to them as a trusted confidant. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, what I say to people is that st- when you stop and think about who that person is, those qualities they bring to your interactions, your communications with them, what you think of them as a person and a trusted source for advice. I want you to be that person. We want you to be that person. We want you to come across to others in that same exact way. Because if you do, others will feel about you the same way you feel about that person. We all want to be heard and we all want to be genuinely heard. And, and, and you know this, Lakeisha, we don't need someone to agree with us every time we discuss something, but we absolutely want and need to feel heard. And, and good listeners, as you, as you described that person, good listeners truly hear you. And, and I think you know this as well, because you're a good listener. If you are a good listener, often the person that you are talking with will solve their own problem and you don't even need to intervene. If if somebody comes to you with a problem and says, I have this problem with this other person and I'm concerned because they did this or they did that. And by simply saying, well, tell me more about that. And then they will elaborate and then they will get to a deeper level on it. And then, as you said, you can say, so what I hear is you're having this problem and this problem and this problem with the person. What are your thoughts on how you might address that and how you might improve your relationship or how you might solve this issue that you have with this other person? And then 
they will think about those things and they will talk about those things. And literally all you have to say at the very end is, wow, those were great ideas. What I heard you saying is you could do this, this, and this. So why don't you go off and do it? And you often, <laughs> you often don't even have to offer a solution. They will come up with it on their own. My, my classic example is when I ran the executive keynote group at Intel, I had two employees, and I don't remember why, were at war with each other. And they were having a hard time getting along. And they were, they were just in a battle. And at first they came to me individually and I did exactly what I said that I just shared with you now. I just, I listened and I had them explain and I had them offer solutions to improving their relationship. And then once I had those two discussions and then followed up, I brought them together and had a similar discussion. And magically, and it was really a learning experience for me, magically, they solved this problem themselves. And I did really had to do nothing. I didn't have to intervene. All I had to do was listen and get them to offer the solutions to their problem. Love it. Love it. Love it. Just building on top of that, right? I mean, listening is probably one of the the most important communication skills, right? I mean, we, you know, you have helped me over the years with written verbal presentations, nonverbal, you know, all those things, cross-cultural engagement, you know, and communicating across different cultures. Talk about how someone can really start to improve their communications. And, and where do you recommend they focus as a start? Yeah, I, where I start, have all of my clients start, Lakeisha, is I have them start by doing one, a self-assessment of their communication skills, their presentation skills, and their presence. And I have them do 360 feedback. And often I'll do the 360 feedback for them. Uh, in fact, most of the time, what I'll, what I'll want them to do is give me the names of three, five, six people who, you know, their boss, a peer, a direct reports, maybe somebody outside their organization who would have a good perspective on their, on their overall communication skills, and just ask some insightful questions around those things to get feedback on how, one, they perceive themselves, and two, how others perceive them. And, you know, I mean, it, it's things like, I have them kind of do three primary categories of questions. Uh, the first one is their one-on-one -on -one interactions and small group interactions. How do other people perceive them? Are they clear? Do they come across as credible and knowledgeable? Do, do they listen? Are they prepared? We talked about that already. Are they open to hearing ideas and opinions that may run counter to their own? I always have them ask questions about their presentation skills because as we both know, presentations are a fundamental part of the business world. Do they come across as prepared and confident, knowledgeable, credible? Does their presentation content make sense? Is it logical? Is it easy to follow? And then I also have them ask some questions around their presence. And that's really important. That question is important. So it's around how do they show up? How do others perceive them? Do they come across as confident, accomplished, open, authentic, empathetic? And it's really interesting, and you've probably experienced this yourself with people you've worked with. Often, our perception of how we come across is very different than how other people perceive us. And that's really important to know. It's important to be thinking about 
your brand, as you've said, and to be thinking about how you come across to others. It's extremely important to find out how other people perceive you, how you show up in their eyes, because they're ultimately, especially if it's a boss or, or at a higher level, they're the folks that are assessing you and either providing opportunities for you to advance in your career or not. And so it's really important that you understand how you are perceived. And it's important for you to step back and reflect on your own presentation skills, your own communication skills, because sometimes just the activity of thinking about that about yourself will surface some things that may not have been conscious for you. So again, what I'm saying here is where I really recommend everybody starts is doing that inventory, doing that self-assessment, both for yourself and have other people assess you. Love it. Love it. Absolutely. That feedback is super important and really having a coach, right? I mean, a lot of times, you know, we think of maybe having a, an executive coach that really just helps us kind of that career development or really on, on the job. But to me, the communications coach is just as important because I only have you know, one chance to make a good impression in every setting that I'm in. And so I think the communications coach is is super important as well. So thank you for, for sharing that, Larry. And by the way, if I, if I may, Lakeisha, let me elaborate on just something you just said there, which is just extremely important. And that is strong first impressions. And I cite in many of my workshops and many of my coaching engagements, I cite a research report research study that came out of Princeton University back in 2014. And that research study, what they did is researchers showed one group of people photographs of others, and they held them up for one tenth of a second. And they asked those people, based on seeing that face for one tenth of a second, they asked those people to make an assessment, to make a judgment of that picture that they saw for one-tenth of a second. And they had them judge them and they offered judgments on things like intelligence and competence and trustworthiness. And they had those people write those things down. They showed a control group those same photographs for roughly 30 seconds. And what they found is, is that both groups had the same exact assessments of the photographs that they saw, again, on those really important qualities that define relationships of, of intelligence and competence and trustworthiness and those types of things. And what I took away from that and what the researchers took away from that is that immediately when somebody sees you, and immediately when somebody hears you, they're making an assessment and they're making a judgment of you on some really important qualities that may define how they feel about you for a much longer period of time, if not permanently. So what I always encourage people to do is make a really strong first impression. Think about if you're on video these days, because we're not in person much, but think about how you look. Think about how you sound. Think about how you're groomed. And other research shows that an audience, if you're doing a presentation, within the first 30 to 60 seconds will form 
an impression and make a judgment of you about your credibility and your knowledge and your intelligence and your worthiness, if you will, to be in front of them and doing a presentation. So uh, as I tell people on a presentation, when you're meeting someone for the first time, if it's an important interaction, even if it's not an important interaction, really be thinking about how you come across initially, because they're going to assess you as soon as they see you. They're going to assess you as soon as you open your mouth and you start to talk. And those impressions they make may be lasting impressions. So really spend a lot of time thinking about how you're going to begin your interaction with any audience, whether it's one person or it's a group of people. Wow. So powerful, man. I'm just like, just marinating on what you're saying. Like, wow, you're so right. And just thinking, okay, I probably need to to get some more coaching myself in a good way, right? Like, because you're right. I mean, I just you just only have that one interaction uh, really shapes in someone's mind how they're going to view. And to your point, it could be for short term, but most likely it's going to be long term. And it's hard to turn them back around if you didn't land the right first impression. <laughs> right, that, that's very very true, Lakeisha. Wow. So speaking of that, right? I mean, you as you said, you you coach, you continue to coach, you know, very very senior executives on their presentations, their presence, how they're showing up. What are some of the biggest challenges you've uncovered in working with them or some of the biggest challenges they face in really trying to level up their communications? There are a few that I consistently see with people at all levels including all the way up to the C-suite. And and one of them and this is really about presentations. Well, it, it's also about about all interactions, they don't prepare enough. We talked about preparation earlier. In the context of presentations, what I see is they don't rehearse enough. And what I find is that, if, especially if it's a very big presentation, like in the good old days at Intel, you and I would work together on the Consumer Electronics Show presentation or something, you know, a big event in Asia or some other event. And we would spend in, in partnership with you and other content creators, we would spend weeks putting together content. And sometimes our executive would spend very little time actually rehearsing that content. Sometimes they rehearsed, but other times they didn't spend time rehearsing the delivery of their presentation. So what I find is, is that because executives are so busy, they don't often spend enough time actually rehearsing and going through the presentation. And that's really a problem because the fact of the matter is you can create the best presentation ever created from a a content point of view, a, a presentation software point of view, great visuals, a great structure. But if the executive struggles and stumbles to deliver that presentation, it's not gonna be a good experience for the audience and it's not gonna be a good experience for that executive and the message won't come through. There won't be engagement. It won't be memorable. It won't be persuasive. So, so that's one of the biggest ones. Another is really trying to say too much on both on slides and, and in the narrative. Uh, we have this thing where we want to say everything in a presentation, and often it is much better to say less. There's that old saying of less is more. What you're really trying to do in any presentation is get people engaged, get them excited about what you're talking about, and then get them to want to hear and learn more. And you need to accomplish that by being interesting, by engaging the audience and not by trying to tell them everything that you know. A couple of other things I would say is, you know, a a lot of executives I see make it, make their presentations more about them and their company or organization instead of making it about the audience. 
And another thing is often they don't focus enough on the unique characteristics of their audience. Another problem, another mistake that executives make is they'll take a presentation that they created for one audience and they'll repurpose that same presentation for a second audience, even though the characteristics of that second audience may be very different. It, they may have different levels of technical knowledge. They may have different emotions about the topic. So that also can be a mistake of just kind of repurposing content. And another one is I don't see executives frequently enough use examples and experiences in their presentations and in their communications. In other words, they're not using stories. And stories are just an extremely powerful tool. I consider stories to be one of the most powerful tools that any communicator can have in their communications toolbox. So those are uh, a few of the, uh, the challenges I see. Love it. Love it. So a couple of quick questions come to mind. So when we're presenting, you know, it's always a trying to figure out for me, okay, now what do I do with my hands? Like, where do I place my hands? Now, obviously we're in a virtual environment, but still, you know, maybe talk a little bit about physical environment. And then now that we've transitioned to a virtual environment, you know, what are some maybe good communication hacks that we need to be thinking about and engaging people in, in those platforms as well? Yeah. So in the virtual environment, as you mentioned, it, it's much more of a challenge and we can talk a little bit more about virtual, but let me, let me get to the specific question that you asked, which is about your hands. In the virtual environment, what I find is actually it's good to use your hands and it's good to use your hands for emphasis because the downside to the virtual environment is if we are on video and a lot of presentations are done on video, if we're on video, you know, you're only seeing us from the chest up. So you're not seeing much. So you can't move across the stage or you can't move around the conference room like you would do if you were in front of a live audience. So actually raising your hands up and using them for emphasis. I mean, you know, I will say something like, you know, I've got three things I wanna tell you about this topic and I'll put my hand up and I'll have three fingers held up. I, at one point I always talk about, don't make your slides too busy with lots of text and arrows and columns and rows because our visual senses are dominant dominant sense. And we will immediately get lost in the slide and try and figure out what it says and won't listen to the presenter. Well, when I say that our visual sense is our dominant sense, I point to my eyes and I say our visual sense is our dominant sense. When I describe how you should look in your environment when you are doing virtual meetings. I use my hands to frame myself and point to my background and point to where my lights are. So I think in the virtual environment, uh, using your hands is actually really good because you can use your hands if you use them well to create emphasis where it's not just you, uh, show, you know, chest up talking, you're bringing your hands in to help you emphasize things emphasize things. The key there is you need to know that you need to bring your hands up, you know, kind of in that frame, you know, chest, neck, and head so that people can see it on the other side of the camera, on the other side uh, on their screen. And when you're in person in front of a, a live audience, one of the biggest mistakes, and this is, this is mainly men, they put their hands in their pocket. And they will be talking up there. And oftentimes it's because they're nervous. It might be because that's just, you know, a natural thing to do is put your hand in your pocket while you're sitting there relaxing. That looks a little bit odd. So don't do that, one. And two, uh, use your hands. I really strongly encourage people to use their hands. 
and to, to use them for emphasis. And most people do use their hands when they're talking. So think about how you're going to use your hands deliberately to emphasize things and to point to a certain direction, to use, you know, three fingers if you're going to talk about three things. And I, I think people just get a little nervous and they, they're worried about what to do with their hands. I, I always encourage them to just try and be natural. Here's something else, Lakeisha, that, that is a really powerful thing to do. And it's really more relevant and important in the face-to-face -face environment, but it's relevant in the virtual environment too. And that is record yourself delivering a presentation. And after you're done, look at the presentation two different ways. First, look at the presentation without the audio, just the video. And then that way you can see if there are any physical mannerisms that you have that are distracting and might take away from the message that you're delivering. Or you might identify things that, wow, it looked really good when I did that. I should do that more often. And then turn off the video and just listen to it. And that way you can pick up on if there are any vocal mannerisms that you have that might be distracting and taking away from your message. Now, with that said, and you know this because I know you've watched yourself, it's hard at first. You know, you don't look like you think you look and you don't sound like you think you sound. So exactly. <laughs> but, but if you get past that and everybody does get past that, if, if and when you get past that, it's an extremely powerful tool. I try to watch and listen to every presentation that I do. Whenever I do a workshop for someone, I always ask them if I can get a recording of it, just so I can watch myself and see if there's anything I'm not doing well that I want to improve on and see if there are any things that worked really well that I'm going to want to do more of. I love it. I love it. Yep. It's actually... Uh... Practice makes perfect uh, over right. time, right? That's right. <laughs> you have to take a look at um, areas. Uh, you know, what came to mind was, you know, a lot of we're, we're getting ready to watch some football this weekend, and I'm sure these players are going back and looking at tapes and seeing where they run the route the right way and where they need to make adjustments. And so they're honing their craft. And so as leaders, uh, communication is a huge aspect of our of our brand. And so we have to do the same thing. So thanks right. for sharing that. That's right. So is there a leader that comes to mind for you when you think of the embodiment of a great communicator? You've worked with so many, you know, maybe what makes that person stand out to you and maybe a few things that we might be able to learn from them. Well, you know, one of the best communicators ever in tech, and you know, this was the late Steve Jobs when he was CEO at Apple and he had a flair for the dramatic and he had an ability to connect with an audience. He had an ability to simplify his message in a powerful way that made connections to people like really no other tech executive that I've seen. And, and this is, there's a, there's a really good book, by the way, I would recommend people read this if they want to improve their presentations. And there's a book by a guy named Carmine Gallo called The Presentation Secrets of Steve Jobs. And he really analyzes why Jobs was so good. And what a lot of people didn't realize is Jobs spent hours and hours, days and days perfecting his content, but also rehearsing his delivery so that he made sure he had just the right inflection and just the right emphasis at just the right time. 
So Steve Jobs, from a, a tech perspective, was always considered one of the best and still remains one of the best. John Chambers, former uh, CEO at Cisco, was also a really strong communicator. He was, he was almost evangelistic in the way that he presented, but he had kind of a flair for the dramatic. He would actually walk down into the audience and talk to people one-on-one -on -one during in the middle of a presentation. You know, another, another great communicator, and I, I realized that, you know, depending on your political persuasion, you may or may not like this, but Barack Obama was a very strong communicator. He had, he had somewhat of a halting delivery at times, I know, that, you know, could be, could be distracting, but boy, you talk about somebody who had a flair for the dramatic and really knew how to put emphasis on phrases. And if you think about it, he was great at one of the most important things that people don't do, which is pauses and allowing people, allowing a message or a phrase to really wash over a group of people before he, he never rushed ahead to the next phrase. So I thought Obama was a, a really good communicator. And then Amanda Gorman, you and I were, were talking about her before we started the podcast. And of course, she, the, the poet laureate who read the po poem at Biden's inauguration. Uh, the poem was beautiful, and, and I went back and I read it just to, to see exactly what she said, but I was so captivated by her delivery, and it was just an example of someone I have to think. I, I read a little bit about it, but I have to think she spent a lot of time preparing. I mean, boy, you talk about what to do with your hands. The things that she did and the movements that she made that emphasized the things she was saying and, and just the way she said them with that, with that energy and enthusiasm and passion, I was just captivated. I was just captivated. So I don't think I will ever get to that level, quite frankly. I mean, it was just amazing. But it's an example of if you combine what you say with how you say it, and you focus on both sides of that equation with power and passion, you can make connections with an audience that will last a lifetime. Oh, you couldn't have said it better. I mean, my God, to your point, you know, even on the national stage and with the entire universe watching I believe she connected to the hearts and minds of everyone who was listening. And just to your point, just completely captivated them. Wow. Yeah, I think we're, we're going to be looking at her and admiring her and just soaking all that she brings to the universe up for, for a long time to come. I know that for sure. Well, hopefully, Lakeisha, maybe we can get her to coach us. What do you think? I'm, I'm telling you, someone's a Lakeisha, like, oh my gosh, she would like, Lakeisha, you should get on your podcast if I would be so lucky, yeah. uh, right? But I, to your point, to learn from her, yeah. right? As you and I were talking about earlier, my goodness, talk about a masterclass that we all would be just be um, at the front row taking copious notes, soaking it all and learning from her It'd be amazing. Yeah. Yes, I agree. To your point. Well, listen, I know we could talk all day and and, and I, I, you know, I often do uh, ping you all day long, but in any case, I'm going to allow you to 
you know, get back to the things that I know that you were working on. But before we do that, anything else that you want to share with the audience before I get into a fun lightning round of questions? The message I deliver, and I always end with Lakeisha, no matter who I'm talking with, whether it's a group or whether it's an individual, is that, you know, work on your communication skills, work on your presentation skills, work on your presence. It pays immeasurable dividends because you engage everyone that you interact with. And as I mentioned earlier, you truly genuinely accelerate your career growth. And and the great news is that you can improve your communications. You just need to focus and you just need to practice. So don't shortchange what we call soft skills, focus on them. And I guarantee you it'll pay big dividends. Absolutely. Totally agree with that. Totally agree with that. Okay. So I'll say a word or phrase and you tell me the first thing that comes to mind. What's your favorite food, Larry? Mexican food. Love it. Love it. Do you have any guilty pleasures that you want to talk about? Any guilty pleasure come to mind? <laughs> sweets. I, I uh, That's my big guilty pleasure. I always have to have something sweet at the end of a meal. I love it. I love it. Maybe your favorite book or a book you're reading right now. Uh, right now, I am rereading the Dune series of books by George Herbert. Uh, I read them years ago, and uh, the movie Dune was already scheduled to come out. It's going to come out now, we think, later in 2021. But I'm a huge science fiction fan. I, I read Heinlein and, and Vonnegut and, and all the great science fiction writers growing up, and I continue to be fascinated with science fiction. So I'm rereading the Dune books, and the first Dune book, which I read starting about three months ago, is is one that I that I read and was recaptivated by. So uh, that that's a great one I'm reading right now, or that series right now. I love it. I love it. Now, I don't know that you have a lot of time to watch TV, but if you did and you watch Netflix, is there a favorite show or maybe an addiction that you're uh, captivated by right now? On Netflix? Well, I'm I love documentaries, so I have been watching some documentaries lately. I watched the Nexium documentary, which was a disturbing documentary uh, that that I really enjoyed. That's a, that's a really good question. What am I watching on Netflix right now? Oh, we watched uh, Good Lord Bird on Showtime, which was just fabulous about John Brown. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a big Ethan Hawke fan, so I just really, really enjoyed the, not only the, the, the portrayal of it, but I thought the production and I thought the acting were extremely good. Speaking of sci-fi on HBO Max, I watched a series called Raised by Wolves. Oh, I saw that, but I didn't watch it yet. Really uh, good? It, it's, you know, it takes sci-fi, it, it's more thoughtful, it's more philosophical. It gets into religious themes as well as secular themes. It obviously gets into, because the, the basis of it is that the world has basically fallen apart and people have gone out into space to set up a new colony. And there are two factions of people that have, have gone on to do that. And it's the conflicts that they have between these two groups and these two philosophies. So, so that's been a, a very good one. I watched a, I watched a season of Fargo recently. Oh yeah. Okay. With, I, I watched the season with Chris Rock when Chris, yeah. when Chris Rock was the bad guy. And I'm a huge Chris Rock fan, uh, his comedic work. Uh, and it took a little bit for him to grow on me as far as a dramatic actor, because he's, you know, he's the head 
of uh, basically a black mafia group is, is what he is. And it took a little while for him to grow on me, but I thought he did a great job. I thought he was really, really good. So uh, those are some of the things that I've watched recently that uh, I really, really enjoyed. There was a, there was a true crime piece on the Golden State Killer a while back that was really good. And I, again, back in that documentary genre. Uh, yeah, but I'll, I'll tell you, you you know, you mentioned football earlier. My main vice, boy, talking about guilty pleasures is I'll watch sports all day long. Really? Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know that. But yeah, yeah so football, basketball, what are some of your favorite sports? Uh, well, my, my favorite is uh, football, American football, because I grew up in Texas. And I was in fourth grade, I was on the elementary school football team and played, played football all the way through high school through my days in Los Angeles. So football is really the sport that I grew up on. And through high school, I played football, I played basketball. I didn't play baseball, but I'm a huge baseball fan. I love baseball. I ran track and field. So I, you know, I, I love sports, as my wife and my family would tell you. My favorite thing is to be doing something like cooking dinner or, or you know, something around the house. And then in the background, I'll have a game on. And I'll just kind of check in. Now, this, this coming week, because we're recording this before the conference championships in, in the National Football League, I will be sat down on Sunday in front of the TV, probably with some snacks and, and maybe a beverage, and I'll be watching football all afternoon. And I'm with you. I'm with you, right? This is going to be a, it's going to be a great weekend. I'm a huge sports fanatic, too. So thanks for sharing that. I love that. I love that. And then the last one I'll ask is, you know, when we can travel again and, you know, we're past COVID, you know, is there a dream vacation or a trip that you and your wife are thinking about taking? Yes. And that is to South America. And my wife, it, my wife's family is from Ecuador. And for one reason or another, I have never been with her to Ecuador, despite the fact that she has relatives down there. Now, when I was at Intel, by the way, and I think you know this, I traveled all over the world. It was fabulous. I was all over Asia and, and Europe and Latin America. And so, so I traveled many, many places in the world, but for one reason or another, I never had the opportunity to go to South America. So I'd love to go to Ecuador. Uh, I wanna to go to Colombia. We have some friends and some acquaintances down in Chile. So uh, where I'm hoping to go is someplace and create an itinerary to go down to South America once we can get on a plane once again. I know. I love it. I love it. That sounds amazing. Well, listen, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on. And I just thank you for sharing all those amazing tips and techniques and just thought process around how we can become a more effective communicator. And I love for the audience to be able to stay in contact with you. And so I know LinkedIn is, is one aspect. You've got some other channels at your company, Fialo Shoe. You've sent out some newsletters. So what's the best way for us to kind of find you and then kind of get connected to all the right uh, information? You can, yeah, if you look up, if you, if you Google me, if you do Larry Shoup, that will send you to fialoshoup.com. And my email is Larry at fialoshoup.com. And if you don't remember that one, I also have an email, email address of Larry Shoup at gmail.com. So any one of those ways will uh, get to me. And, and I'd love to have a conversation with you about communication. Anybody that wants to reach out, 
Let's talk. I love it. I love it. And you and I are talking about doing some things together now in my new world. So I'm excited about giving my team more exposure to you and just all the, the great things that I learned over the last 12 years at Intel in partnership with you. So thank you so much, Larry. Hey, have a great time this all right. weekend. All right. <laughs> take care. All right. Take care. Take care. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Roar. Tune in next time for more awesome talks with people at the top. Don't forget to subscribe and share so you're the first to know when our newest episodes are available. Until next time, 